You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. We are thrilled to have you back with us today at Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. My name is Jacob Hawk. I am the host of this podcast and on staff at the Preston Crest Church of Christ here in North Dallas. And my good friend Keith Harris, who is the preaching minister at the Louisville Church of Christ, just north of us in Louisville, Texas, is back with us again today as we are continuing this series over the pastoral epistles. Keith, glad to have you back with us today. I'm, I'm glad to be here and looking forward to our conversation today. So today we're going to talk about something I would say uh, much less controversial than what we talked about last week after Paul finishes his instructions about corporate worship specifically in the roles of spiritual leadership, Paul transitions then to telling this young preacher, Timothy, and I want to emphasize young because he's probably more my age than Keith's age. Keith is well past the uh, young status, but young preacher, uh, Timothy, that he needs to find some elders who will serve as spiritual shepherds of this new church in Ephesus. And Paul doesn't just leave Timothy clueless about the type of men that he needs to be looking for. If you've read through the pastoral epistles before, you know that both for Timothy and Titus, uh, but what we're talking about today is Timothy, Paul gives some qualifications for these men who are going to become the spiritual leaders, shepherds, overseers of this church in Ephesus. So, Keith, I will begin, um, as we've been doing, just reading this passage, 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1. We'll go through verse 7 today, and then we will discuss it together. Here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer or an elder, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace 
and into uh, the devil's trap. Keith, I want to begin by just getting the elephant out of the room. I know you feel the same way that I do, but um, I'm a I'm a preacher who loves working with elders. Would you say the same thing? I I do. I I love um, the time that we spend together, whether it's in visitation or even just in discussions regarding. Um, the work of the church and and possibilities that are there for us to serve and reach out in the community. Yeah. Amen. I, this is the fourth church that I've worked for in my ministry, and I've had great relationships with elders at all of the churches that I've served. And, uh, you know, it's very special the way that God designed the leadership for the New Testament church. There's not a, a head man who calls the shots for everybody in the church, but there's a team leadership Um and I've always had the understanding with my elders, and it sounds like, Keith, you have as well. Uh, it's not as much of an employer-employee relationship, though technically it is. You know, the eldership can hire and terminate as they see fit, but we're a team, and we have different jobs. Uh, but we work best together when we think of being a team. Would you agree with that? I do. I agree with that. And, you know, I, I, I would say, too, that I've been very blessed in, in my ministry to serve with uh, and alongside great men who have served as elders within the church. And it's been a, a real blessing. Um, and so, yeah, I think the church is most healthy when it's leadership, um, you know, whether it's uh, shepherds, elders uh, and ministers together. Uh, along with deacons as well, which we'll get to that in our discussion. But, um, you know, when we work as a team, you know, and understand that dynamic, I think uh, the healthier we are and the more effective we can be. Right. And and when there's trust, you know, we have the elders back and the elders have the ministers back. Uh, it's just a it's just a good season. It's a good right. season. Okay, so let's talk about these qualifications. Uh, Paul begins by saying that if a man sets his heart on being an overseer, he sets his heart on a, uh, the NIV says, on a noble task. Keith, what does it mean to set your heart on being an overseer? So it's interesting, the, the phrase that's used here, to set one's heart, um, some versions will say aspire. Um, uh, other versions will just have the simple word of desire, the one who desires this. And I think to set one's heart just very literally means to, to stretch oneself out toward. Uh, and so, uh, interestingly enough, in this one verse, uh, Paul uses two different words that can mean the same basic thing, though this first word uh, that uh, is is seen in the phrase set one's heart, um, it, it is, again, a reaching out for something. Um, and so in, in my mind, I always have visioned those uh, scenes of different movies where the action is is at a climax and the person may... Uh, in one one scene, be reaching over a, something uh, to help someone else or to to reach out for it, and it seems like um, with with all of their uh, being, they are trying to reach out and and uh, attain or 
help this individual. Now, that's in my mind whenever I see this, because that's really what I think Paul is getting at through this is, and even back into the previous chapter where we were talking about our attitude and our, uh, you know, the way that we approach um, God and, and really the church. And I think when he says to set one's heart, that just simply means to reach out for it, to desire that, you know, to, to long to attain to uh, that kind of, of character in your life. Um, and then, as I said a minute ago, that uh, he uses a different word in, in the latter part of that sentence where he says, you know, the one who aspires or the one who sets his heart on being an overseer or an elder desires a noble task. That word desire um, is a stronger word that would indicate more of, uh, well, it, it could be translated as covet, though I'm not convinced that's what Paul is saying there, but rather reaching toward or a, um, um, a grasping for. Uh, and so th to me, setting one's heart is I'm focusing my life I am, I am challenging myself to live up to the will of God for me and what he calls Christians to, the kind of life he calls us to, to have that kind of character um, that, that would be then um, able to lead the church in the way that God would want overseers or elders to lead. Yeah, those are great thoughts, Keith. And um, inter interestingly enough, this this phrase, as you're indicating, set your heart. Um, Paul uses this phrase elsewhere, specifically in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter three, verse one, where in that context, Paul says that we need to set our hearts and our minds on heaven, um, not on the things of this world, but on the things of above. And so, if you think about the idea of setting our hearts on heaven, what does that look like? Well, it's laser focus, it's prioritizing, it's conviction. So if that same idea of setting our hearts on heaven applies to a man setting his heart on being an elder, that means this is one of the most important things for him in his life. Um, I'm blessed to work with a lot of young adults and singles here at Preston Crest, and since I've been here for the last two years, I've been intentionally pouring into the life of some of our males in the group to try to start developing some spiritual leadership with men uh, because men have a tendency to sit back and not step up when they need to. And I've told a lot of the men that I work with here at Preston Crest in the Discover Ministry, hey, I want to see you be my elders someday. You know, mm -hmm. right now you're looking at me as your teacher and your minister. I want to look at you one day as, as my shepherds. And that process begins right now of preparing yourself and prioritizing your life in such a way where you can serve as a shepherd. Now, let me ask you this question, Keith. I think we've probably seen some of this in our experiences. Is it possible for a man to want to be an elder too badly? Oh, I I think very much so, and I, I have experienced it, as you said, you have as well. Um, and in, it, it's it's interesting to me that that second word that Paul uses, uh, the second Greek word that he uses that for us is translated as desire, a noble task, um, that word, when it's used in the New Testament, is, is most always used in a negative sense. Correct. And 
with pride or coveting uh, in that negative sense. And here, Paul uses it very much a positive way. Um, but how easy is it for someone to desire to have that high position as it's seen within the church? Well, that's very easy because of our human nature, you know, and, and it's easy for pride to, to creep in. I think Paul is going to that later on as well toward the end of this passage when he talks about the trap of the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen men who had such a, a, a desire to, to be an elder that you can, you can almost see the, the pride kind of coming out of their pores. And it's not the good kind of pride that we have like in our children when they do something, you know, when they do something right or they do something really good, but it's the kind of pride that's puffing oneself up. And again, I would call back to our minds what Paul's been writing thus far and dealing with our attitude as we approach God and as we approach the church, that we have to have that humble spirit about us. And um, sadly, uh, there are men who seek the office of elder simply because they want a position of esteem and authority uh, so that they then can get their way um, or so that they can feel prominent. Well, let me just say, if you can see that desire coming out of their pores, Keith, you're getting pretty close to them. Yeah, like, well. A little bit in their personal space. You don't have to get too close on some guys. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. When it comes time to um, select new elders or install new elders, you know, that season coming up to that event, it can become very political where it almost feels like you're going to show up the next week and there's going to be campaign posters on the wall with a man's face on it and his slogan and him in the foyer saying, I'm brother so-and-so and I endorse this message. Like, you know, let's yeah. take it easy. Um, the, you need to look like a shepherd here, not like a, a political figure trying to get elected or even reelected. Right. Um, at, at some churches. But the idea that Paul's wanting to communicate to this young preacher is if this man wants to do this, he's got his mind and his heart in the right place. That's right. Can I be overzealous? Absolutely. And as you said, we'll get to that a little bit more when we get down to uh, verse six. Um, but let's jump to verse two when he kind of starts going down the list. And let's go ahead and say here at the beginning. Churches do get into trouble when they make like a spreadsheet in their mind, or even I've seen some do it physically, um, where you check off each box, mm-hmm. like you're you're looking at your grocery list to make sure you're getting everything. Um, no man meets all of these things perfectly. These right. are some general ideas. Um, we need to read this, as we talked about last week, with the instructions on modesty and gold and pearls and all, read more into the spirit of the law than the letter of the law. But what constitutes a man, Keith, verse 2, the NIV says, him being uh, above reproach, and specifically, how does that harmonize with us being human and making mistakes? So let me let me uh, kind of jump on something you just said, uh, and then I'll, I'll uh, get to my thoughts on that question but you know when i I agree fully and and have experienced it as well where these um and we call them qualifications the the heading in my bible says qualifications um and that's the way that we often phrase it 
uh, I've seen where, like you said, there's a check, a, a check box. Okay. They met that one. They met that one. Um, and I, I think we would, we would do well to these as characteristics or quality that are evident in the life of, uh, of an individual. And if they are evident, then they are the kind of person that ought to serve or, um, you know, in, in, in our language, uh, would be qualified. Um, but when we're talking specifically about being above reproach, um, the word literally means cannot lay hold of. And, and it seems that what Paul is getting at here is that, um, it doesn't mean that this man is going to be sinless. It doesn't mean that he is going to be perfect as said, but rather, um, if there's some kind of accusation or, or some kind of um, complaint that's brought uh, before others concerning this individual, there's not going to be any evidence or anything that's going to substantiate that claim or, or that accusation. That's really what the word means. Now, it's very closely tied to something else that he says regarding reputation, um, you know, with the thought of having a good reputation. And, and again, that's a, in a, another context, but above reproach would be, um, again, if there's any kind of accusation that's brought against the individual, it's not going to be substantiated. Um, and, right. and so uh, very much like Peter uh, addresses uh, the Christians who are experiencing uh, persecution, and, and then he goes so far to talk about how uh, Peter would say how how people may slander you. You need to live in such a way that their accusations uh, will be brought to light as false, uh, that by your conduct, uh, they will be put to shame, you know? And so that's kind of the same thought of being above reproach is that, you know, if somebody uh, is saying something negative about you, then your character is going to win out in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I think you've phrased that well. It's kind of like, uh, you know, that old material Teflon that food couldn't stick to Teflon. It's kind of you're the type of person where if an accusation is made, it's not going to stick because people just know, hey, that can't be true. That doesn't mean that we think you're perfect, but you've lived your life in such a way that your reputation's intact and you're known to be a person of honorable character. I loved your phraseology, and I'd like to echo that as we move on, but you said these should be more qualities than qualifications. I don't know of anyone who actually believes in their heart who serves as an elder, hey, man, I am totally qualified for this. Yeah. There's a difference between having a quality or a characteristic and then being qualified. Right. And I think the best elders are those, like we talked about a minute ago, Man, when they go in, they're nervous because they don't feel up to the task. Yep. Even though they have the qualities to do it, of course you're not qualified. Right. But the elder who says, man, I've, I've, yeah, I meet all the criteria. I'm qualified. Let's do this. That man's going to cause a lot of harm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had a friend of mine who was a youth minister uh, in Northeast Texas, and he talked about they had a deacon in their church. He was 95 years old. His name was Deacon Bob. And his job in his 90s was to make sure that all the food at the potluck lunch still tasted okay. So he would sample things during worship. But they, he said for years they would ask Deacon Bob, Bob, uh, do you want to be an elder? And he's like, well, I'm just not ready yet. And they're like, well, <laughs> you're 95, you know. 
like <laughs> you're old enough um if are you are you ready to do this just not ready well uh, i'd rather have a deacon bob of the world than someone who thinks that they're beyond ready yeah, um, right. okay let, let's get down to the husband of but one wife okay uh okay this one does get a little bit sticky um, but I'm going to keep it specifically to what about a man who is a widower who has lost his wife to death? Can he still serve as an elder? So there are many uh, varying opinions on that, really two, two main ones. Uh, either he can or he can't, uh, and I've seen both. Um, I've seen gentlemen who have been asked to step down when they're spouse died uh, at Winsong, uh, uh, Dale Tucker, uh, who has a son that lives here in the Dallas area. Dale served faithfully as an elder at Winsong in Little Rock for many, many years. And his, uh, his wife uh, passed away and, um, and, and Dale kind of wondered if he needed to step down. And, and our elders there at Winsong uh, surrounded him and said, no, you know, this is, this is not something that you need to step down because of. And, and I appreciated that because there's nothing about his character or his leadership ability that changed just because his wife passed away. Um, and, and so, again, I think a lot of times that miscommunication or the misunderstanding regarding that particular piece comes because we have it in our minds as a checklist Mm -hmm. rather than qualities, characteristics. Mm -hmm. um, there's no doubt in my mind that, that Dale was as qualified or uh, had the characteristics that we would expect an elder to have or desire an elder to have or that we see Scripture teaching an elder should have the day after she passed away as it was the day before. There's no difference in him. And so um, it, at least... In my opinion, if uh, a man serving as an elder has his spouse that dies, he is still um, able to serve. And that's that's my view. And I understand that not everybody agrees with that. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And um, your spiritual leadership and maturity does not change for the worse when you go through the pain of losing a spouse. In fact, I would argue that it changes for the better. Yeah. And when a man has walked through the grief of losing a spouse, you know what that does? That gives him the ability to relate with other widows and widowers in a way which he could not do before. Yep. And, um, you know, the context of this is Ephesus, pagan city, a time when uh, polygamy was alive and well, where people would have multiple spouses. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here is it's not um, having one spouse in the sense of you're never going to be married to anyone else or they're always going to be alive, but it's, hey, don't have more than one spouse at a time because that's how the pagans, pagans live. And we don't need to spend a lot of time on this, Keith, but I also think this applies to uh, men who have gone through through a divorce. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't logically make sense to me, and I know others feel this way as well, if Jesus provides a reason for a man to biblically get remarried because his spouse was unfaithful to him, 
why would he have a biblical reason to get remarried and still not be qualified back to the difference between a quality and a qualification to serve in the Lord's church? If Jesus acknowledges, hey, that marital covenant has been broken because one of the partners in the marriage broke the covenant, they were unfaithful, well, that shouldn't penalize you for serving the Lord's people uh, down the road. And back to the same thing with the widower, if you've been through a divorce, well, that gives you the ability to relate with 50% of a lot of churches of other people who have been through a divorce. And that's why I loved what you said, getting back to the quality rather than the qualification. Right. Yeah, one of the one of the greatest elders I've ever known uh, was a gentleman who um, was married, you know, right during college and uh, ended up his his wife uh, ran off with another guy. uh, And and then he remarried and he and uh, his wife have been married for many years uh, and have a family and. Um, he, he served as a, a deacon, uh, for many years. And then, uh, while I was at the congregation, he was put forward as an elder. Uh, and the conversations were, well, I don't know if he can be an elder because he has been, you know, married before. And, uh, and then I, I saw that conversation transition to, well, he's, he's serving as a deacon and wouldn't that same thought apply and and the conversation you know among the men uh, in the room continued to progress to the point of yeah he is he very much displays the quality uh that 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 we see listed out in scripture for those that would serve as elder and he was put in as an elder and he's he's one of the best elders i've ever known uh and because he has that character he has mm-hmm. that quality and that ability uh and so I think we have to, uh, we can't be so closed-minded or so strict uh, as to adhere to to this list as a checklist because uh, I will say that, uh, you know, when when we uh, get to this uh, point in this particular text about he doesn't need to be a recent convert, well, you flip over to Titus, that quality or characteristic or qualification uh, is not listed in the the the, uh, the list that Paul gives to Titus. That's right. Yeah, he's working with a different um, different group. <laughs> different those, group. Those in Crete were probably mostly new converts. Yeah, yeah, they had less to choose from, right? Yeah. So that wouldn't. So we can't. We can't. We, I think we have to move past this thought of that these are um, just simply a checklist of qualification. Right. Right. It's so more than that. Yeah. That's so well said. And this this goes without saying, back to the issue on the divorce, if if the man serving as the elder was the one who left his wife, different story. Different story. Yep. Different story. And Jesus would feel the same way about that as well. That's right. Okay, so let's uh let's get down to this whole thing about this elder needs to be a man who is able to teach. Uh we're gonna talk in just a minute what that means, able to teach, but also is this limited, Keith, to a Bible class or a worship service, or is this just more life in general? What do you say? 
Well, it seems to me that this would be more of life in general. Uh, and the reason that I would say that is, number one, uh, we often or many people will tie this to a Bible class. He's got to be able to teach a Bible class. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say, well, hang on, because <laughs> they probably didn't have the Bible classes yeah. in the first century that, that we have today and the way we think of it today. And so right off the bat, we have to alter that a little bit. But I would say that this deals more with, especially like you mentioned in Ephesus, the context uh, would help us to see that this lends itself to an understanding that you need to be, an elder needs to be able to share the message of God uh, to people around. And so um, whether that's in a group setting, um, whether that's um, in, in a worship setting or an individual setting, he needs to be able to, to have an understanding of the word of God in such a way that he can perform his duties as an overseer, uh, as a shepherd, so he can shepherd the flock. And so I would say that it's more about skillful in teaching rather than what we often think of as teaching a Bible class or just simply uh, a sermon or something like that in worship. Um, it's being able to share the message of God's word uh, as needed to fulfill his work as a shepherd of the flock. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I might even rephrase it, though it is a different Greek word that appears elsewhere in Scripture, but I think it's the same concept, willing to teach. Mm -hmm. um, I'm able, I have the ability uh, to cook dinner tonight, but there's no one in my house who wants me to cook dinner because everyone knows probably won't taste the best. Uh, Suzanne is the one with that skill, but I'm willing and able, should the need arise, to to cook dinner. Um, and I think most elders feel this way. Now, some elders have been preachers before or by their profession, maybe, you know, they've, they've been used to making presentations or speaking in groups of people. They're good thinkers and they enjoy doing it. But Keith, I've served in remote places. My first job was, uh, out in the middle of the hill country. And, um, we had one elder who enjoyed teaching and did a great job and one elder who was willing to teach but understood that may not have been his spiritual gift and i think that's perfectly fine um, mm -hmm. but it's just the idea that if you're going to be a leader in the church you need to be willing and able to present some type of spiritual thought that yeah. shows that you have an understanding of the word and that you are willing and able to talk about uh, your faith but many elders, as you said, they teach through their lives and mm -hmm. the way that they live. Um, as we always say, you know, <laughs> actions are more powerful than words. And if you can teach through your uh, virtue, then you're going to be a very effective educator. Um, right. Paul says in verse five that he needs to manage his family well. OK, well, we don't live within the walls of the home. So how can we tangibly know if a man is managing his family well? This is pretty subjective, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and probably, again, like you said, because we don't live in their home. And so how can we how can we see? Well, I would I would say that one of the ways that we see is just by the way that uh, he conducts himself and the way that his family conducts themselves when the church is assembled, mm -hmm. um, when we do see them. Not only that, but I would say also just out in public. Um, I've known men who uh, 
you know, who were seen as, uh, you know, as very uh, strong Christian men who would take their family to a ball game and and yell uh, in a very unchristian way at the referees, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, uh, and, and then see their, their kids doing the same thing, following that example. And to me, that's not, um, that's not really the way uh, the example ought to be. And so you kind of start to question when you see things like that. And so I use that as an example, which uh, is not directly tied to this, but at, at the same time, we, we see their life and in our interactions with them, as we see them out in, in public in community and we see how they handle themselves, um, that, you know, that's a pretty good indicator yeah. of what not his children respect him. Uh, you know, and the that same respect is there for his wife, and his love for his family is evident. Keith, you seem to be a much better student of the Greek than I am, which is shocking because I did not know that people spoke Greek in Arkansas. Um, <laughs> but based on my study of, and again, it's limited being from Texas, but based on my study of that word there, manage, uh, it's a word which can have three different meanings, either to A, protect, B, to nourish, or C, to teach. Um, And I think those three go hand in hand. These are not three separate managerial responsibilities per se, but if a man takes care of his family, provides a roof over their head, they aren't in need, doesn't mean they have to be wealthy, but they're well taken care of. They're nourished physically, but also emotionally. Like he's not an absentee father <laughs> or an absentee husband. And then, yes, he teaches by example. You can tell that his children want to have a relationship with the Lord and relationship with the church. Um, I think he's managing his family well. Right. I have seen, and I'm sure you have as well, um, People think, well, he's a managerial type, he's a CEO, or he's a boss, or he's a slave driver, or a military mindset, very disciplined. He must be managing his family well. Um, Mm. Outside perception is often totally opposite from reality. And Mm -hmm. uh, some of the best managers of families are some of the most quiet men in the church. Mm-hmm. So we had to be careful, like you said, don't allow your perception to define your reality, though in life, perception usually tends to be your reality. Uh, mm-hmm. This is an indication where that can get you um, into trouble. That's right. So let's, we, we've, we've hinted at this a little bit. Verse 6, uh, this is where kind of that term for elder works in, you know, there's, there's several different words used for this office in the new Testament. You've got the elder, which is kind of the, the age you've got the Bishop, which is kind of the overseer. You've got the shepherd, which is the guider. Um, but here's a time where that elder term comes up. He can't be a recent convert. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got to have some experience under his belt. But specifically, Paul says if he's not a recent convert, he can fall under the judgment of the devil. What does that mean? Falling under the 
judgment of the devil probably now there there are three different options but i would say that the it seems as though uh the the clearest explanation that that i have seen and really in in my view would be that falling under the condemnation of the devil would be um connected to uh, the sin of pride Mm -hmm. judgment or the condemnation that is meted out on the sin of pride. Um, others would say that uh, it, it, it's uh, a little different in the, in that, um, you know, connected back to the fall, connected back to, um, you know, Satan with his pride, that because of that, then, you know, sin ultimately enters the world through the fall and, and, and there's judgment. That's, I think that gets a little too confusing. I, th- I don't think Paul is going uh, that that deep with this, I think he's just simply saying, um, with regard to our attitude, um, and, and the, and the larger context, even going back to, to chapter two, as we've mentioned already, but going back there with our, uh, humility that we ought to have, uh, when, when one is a recent convert or in our minds, we might think of young, um, a younger person, um, but not, not confined just to a younger person, the tendency for a recent convert may be to get puffed up and say, wow, look, I'm, I'm really something, you know, I must be doing great because look, look at me now. And that sin of pride uh, can creep in and, and Satan, his trappings can take hold uh, and cause great harm. And so I think in verse six, specifically fall under the same judgment as the devil I think that's strictly speaking about the sin of pride and the and the condemnation and judgment that comes. I don't have anything to add to that. I think that is dead on. Um, as the writer of Proverbs says on numerous occasions, pride always comes before the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and if a man thinks too highly of himself without enough experience for the task, he's going to fall (laughs) and, and he's going to take a lot of people out with him and churches, churches face all kinds of problems, but one of the most common sources of their struggle comes from leadership. And, uh, there are men who become elders who do not need to be elders. And a big reason for that is they aren't ready yet. They aren't Mm -hmm. ready yet. Okay, last one we'll talk about today, and this goes back kind of with um, telling if a man manages his family well, but how does a church evaluate if a man's reputation with outsiders is a solid reputation? So verse verse 7, obviously, is that idea of having a good reputation among outsiders. I think that goes back to what he said at the very beginning, um, of being above reproach. Um, but this good reputation with, with outsiders would be such that uh, he brings honor to the church. Um, but the question of, you know, how does the church evaluate if someone uh, has that good reputation? I think it's just seen in, in our interactions in public and certainly in a larger metroplex that's a little more difficult to do than it is in a small community. Um, just given the vast number of people and the, and, and the direction that, that people go so many directions, you know, 
Uh, whereas in a smaller community like one that I grew up in of, of 6,500 people, I mean, uh, you knew, you pretty much knew everybody, you know, and, and, and people, you know, kind of knew the actions of, of different folks. And so even within the church, there were men who didn't really have a great reputation in the community. Um, and so that was, that was a little more obvious than maybe it, it can be or is in a larger uh, metropolitan area. But how can you know? Well, I think you just have to be in each other's lives. You have to, you know, to, to see the, their interactions, not only with their family, but with uh, just people in general. Um, and, and certainly, um, you know, if, uh, if, this, if this gentleman has, has been involved in different situations or, you know, uh, lawsuits, whatever it might be, um, you know, may not, I may not cast the best light on the church, his reputation, and and you know it, it uh, definitely. W- we want our church leaders to bring honor and glory to the church and to God, and not detract from that. And so, I think it just has to come down to at least as as far as we're going to know, it just has to come down to this idea of we know this individual. We experience this individual in in the community within the body of Christ. We see them uh, interacting at at different events or different functions, and we can see that they are respected or that they're not respected. Right. Yeah. Back to that uh, great little proverb: <laughs> If yeah. it walks like a duck, talks like <laughs> a duck, smells like a duck, it's probably a what? Yeah. 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 That's yeah. weird. Um, you know, it, it it never ceases to amaze me when churches put in elders, and then one of the elders is a problem, and people in the church or other elders in the church just say, "We just never saw this coming." What do you mean you didn't see this coming? I mean, right. if there's a precedent there of him acting this way before, he's probably not going to change just because now he is a quote unquote shepherd. And uh, I know the context of this when Paul says outsiders is those who are not Christians. How does he deal with uh, people in a secular space? But, you know, as you said, we live in Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, This is a very transient, um, mobile society, and we have a lot of churches in Dallas-Fort Worth. And Keith, I could only imagine knowing you and knowing the eldership at Louisville and knowing the eldership here at Prestoncrest— if a man showed up and he was visiting Louisville and that was going to be his eighth or ninth church in the last six years, uh, he probably doesn't need to be an elder at Louisville because that shows either A, he can't get along with anybody, or B, he thinks he's smarter than everybody, or C, he has commitment issues. So mm-hmm. um, there's a precedent there. Don't put that man in a place of leadership. Uh, if Paul was writing in American terminology, he would probably say here, just use a little bit of common sense. Right. Let That's life right. teach you some lessons and uh, don't get yourself in a trick sack. Use good judgment um, and you'll probably be okay. Keith, thank you so much uh, for your time, for your thoughts. Again, your uh, distinction between qualification and quality i think is profound so thank you for offering that to us uh i think you would echo when i say praise god for elders in his church man 
These are special men, special shepherds who do so much for the kingdom of God. And I am thankful, as I know you are as well, to work alongside some wonderful elders who are focused on the supremacy of Jesus and the expansion of his kingdom on earth. As always, thank you for giving us some of your time today. Hopefully you heard something here that blessed you. We encourage you to keep your eyes on heaven, and we look forward to talking with you next time.